0: Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden.
1: And I'm Rob Olson. This episode, we'll be talking with Alan Guthrie from Blasted Heath. But first, we're going to talk a bit about this week's book review, Dead Money by Ray Banks.
0: Ray shares his birthday with game show host and former CIA operative Chuck Barris, and he likes to think he owns a little piece of Roberto Rosalini's soul, seeing as Rosalini carked it the day he was born. He's been a wedding singer, a double glazing salesman, a croupier, a dull monkey, as well as various degrees of disgruntled temp. These days, he likes to think of himself as a writer. He's been called a bit of a cult. At least he thinks that's what they said. He now lives in Edinburgh, where he's been known to fall into fits of curmudgeonly behavior that normally involves salty language and lewd gestures.
1: <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> uh, if this is any indication about the book review we're doing, there it is right there. <laughs>
1: Okay, a little bit about the book. I'm going to read you this synopsis of Dead Money off of Blasted Heath's website. Double-glazing salesman Alan Slater is in trouble. He hasn't had a good sales lead in months. His wife rightly suspects him of playing around. His best mate, Les Beal, has turned into a bigoted, boozed-up head case, and that's the least of it. When a rigged poker game has fatal consequences, Alan finds himself not only responsible for the cleanup, but also for Beal's escalating debt to a man who won't take broke for an answer. As Beale's life spirals out of control, he becomes even more desperately reliant on Alan to save his skin. But Alan isn't about to be dragged into the gutter by anyone, least of all his bad-beat, dead-money former mate. After all, there's no such thing as a compassionate, double-glazing salesman. You
0: know, I was under the impression double-glazing had something to do with donuts.
1: I you know what? I assumed that wasn't the case, but that's always what I imagined every time you mentioned double glazing it in, in, in the in the book at any point.
0: Yeah, I and I'll tell you what, Duncan Donuts does not respond to I want a double glazed <laughs> donut. It's just a blank look from from the lady behind the counter.
1: Well I uh Just to to help out anybody who's confused about what double glazing is, I actually looked it up. Um, And it's essentially a process in which a window is formed by two panes of glass with a space between the panes. And the idea is that there's air trapped between that acts as insulation. So it's supposed to be, I guess, you know, insulating windows for your house. And I guess there's salesmen specifically that sell those.
0: Yeah, I I actually didn't know that's what it's called. I I know the process because I broke one once and they're not... They're not inexpensive to replace.
1: <laughs> but um, it, it, it's in my mind, it is better to just imagine donuts.
0: Yep. Door-to-door donut salesman. Love it. <laughs> All right. Now we got that little bit of tomfoolery out of the way. Um, yeah, that's the synopsis pretty much wraps up uh, the entirety of the story. It's uh, about your average everyday guy who gets caught in a really bad situation and has to uh, muddle his way through it
1: yeah and he's got one of those like that Les Beal, the friend that that's mentioned in the synopsis is just that guy that you know you like him for you know you think that at some point you had reasons for liking him but the guy just you know screws one thing up and then as things go it just screws things up worse and worse and worse
0: I'm the guy in this friendship right I'm the Les Beal.
1: yeah I think yeah I think Les yeah I think you are good, good to know
0: <laughs> All right, so what we have is a book who follows a, uh, you know, a, a not unlikable guy. He's just kind of very plain, whatever. And, and again, he gets into these situations, and it escalates worse and worse um, until it ends up with him owing the bad debt to the, you know, the the crime guy. A uh, frequent, uh, frequent story that we've even uh, had here on the show previously.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing that he has a, a decent life. He's got a married life he he has a house with his wife and you know things are pretty normal he's got a you know a steady job and everything but then he's got these other parts of his life he's got a mistress he's got you know he gambles a lot he stays out late and 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 so it's all very delicately balanced and as things start to tip with with Beal and the and the trouble he gets into it's like the 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 book is about him trying to struggle to keep things how you know he's got them set just perfectly right and and you know, think just keep trying harder and harder to fall apart around him.
0: Yeah, a little bit about. It. <coughs> made a little bit of fun at the double glazing salesman part, but um, you know, I before I had read that he had been a double glazing salesman, I knew he was in sales. Some of the parts that were written where he's sitting in customers' homes are just. So dead on. If you've ever had to deal with the public for any extended length of time, that there's really some solid, uh, some solid advice in there too. I think you pick up a little bit about being a salesperson from Mister Banks.
1: <laughs> uh, a couple observations. All right. So one of the things that I noticed big time is that there's a lot of gambling that goes on in, in the book, and, and I, I'm, I'm not big into you know going to casinos or really any kind of ga- you know gambling at all. There was a lot of stuff that just kind of flew over my head. There's a lot of terminology and stuff that I didn't really pick up on that, you know, I had to look at and um, see what it actually meant. And I have an actually a quote that's a good example of, of how just kind of fast and crazy the, uh, the, the gambling terms can get. Here it is. I bought in for a stack of color, flipped a couple of loose straight ups across the layout as the dealer spun up. And I was reading that and I'm like, my God, I... I mean, I got the word I because I know who he is. <laughs> you know, I got uh, bought in, makes sense, obviously. I mean, most of that I was just like, what the hell just happened?
0: Yeah, I, uh, who am a little more familiar with gambling than than you are, um, didn't have much of an issue um, with that part. But, yeah, all the slang in there kind of threw me off. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are parts of, there's just things that happen in the book that I totally missed <laughs> just because I couldn't figure out what what the words meant
1: and the in the title of the book itself even i didn't realize at the time but but you know after reading the book you kind of get get the feeling of it but then i just for my own sake looked up the term dead money to see what it means and and in the context that we're using here dead money is a player in a game or a tournament or whatever who has no realistic chance of winning so even <laughs> the title of the book itself is 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 kind of a gambling term but the way that he he uses gambling and puts it in the book it, it really i mean it was over my head in parts but i'm not saying that it was confusing at all i mean he wrote it in a way that i understood what was going on there was just some parts that were just so quick and crazy like the one the example i just gave that that kind of went over my head but you can definitely figure out what's going on if you're not a big gambling guy
0: that uh, that definition of dead money too is just a great great label for for our protagonist too it really really sums up the book,
1: yeah, and the funny thing is he he thinks that it's a great explanation of his buddy who keeps getting into trouble, but uh <laughs> you're right, yeah, it really is it really is alan Slater so
0: the book is uh an incredibly quick read, um that's a digital book, I don't know how many pages it translates to, but it was uh really easy to rip through in just a couple of sittings, I mean it's paced really, really well. Um, the characters are definitely engaging enough, and the story flows in such a way that you want to know, you know, how he's going to get out of the next situation. So, I mean, it's done very well, uh, and I quite like the gambling stuff. I thought I think it was fun. I haven't read anything uh, to do with gambling in quite some time.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I have to imagine that, and I, I don't know exactly what the page count is, but it has to clock in around two to two fifty somewhere. It's it's pretty short. But yeah, all all of my my little notes aside, it, it reads really well. And, um, one of the things that I really liked about it is that, and Libby mentioned this, so I'm completely stealing your, your note, but, um, he never steps away from like what could realistically happen. The way that Alan Slater approaches things, the way that his deadbeat friend kind of acts and everything, it's all within the realm of reality. Like these are all, you know, it it felt very just organic and and I don't know. it, It felt like I was hearing someone tell me something that actually happened, not like spinning some sort of tale i guess is what i'm trying to say
0: as a comparison when we reviewed plugged a few weeks ago um similar story set up but so many times those stories have a your, your protagonist is the you know former green beret who has ways of well but it's true you know who has all these resources to get out of these situations and what ray banks did was he took you know like i said your next door neighbor just your average joe And threw him into the same kind of situation and then tried to, you know, make him squirm his way out of it, which, uh, in a way, uh, less high adventure than some of those books, but uh, much better in some ways, too.
1: Yeah, I agree. It resonates better because it's not like, oh, man, well, it's a good thing he had that specific training that's going to come in handy later on in his life. Yeah, it's it's easier to swallow.
0: Yeah, and there's always something there's always something more appealing about the protagonist that just gets his ass handed to him by somebody too, you know. And they just take a beat down. You just you become more endeared to him because they they've taken that beating.
1: This will this will kind of come to light when we do the quotes and everything. But it's really kind of got this very funny sarcasm to it. Um, the way that he writes, there's, <laughs> I have a highlight, but I'm not going to use it as a quote because it's just like five words. But he describes one of the characters as being two belts fat. <laughs> <laughs> it's so quick and to the point, but it, it makes perfect sense. And you can immediately imagine what a two belts fat looking person would be like. So it's got this really great, uh, yeah, humor, humor to it.
0: Has anybody else noticed how, uh, how Rob's managed to sneak in more and more quotes by saying they're not quotes <laughs> and just reading them earlier in the episode. And it still ends up being like 12 or 14.
1: All right, man, get off my back. Got it. all right. Hey, you know who better to talk about how, how a book is good or bad than you know the book itself
0: took me a second to figure that one out yeah you're right agreed all right so i mentioned it a little bit earlier um one of the one of the more endearing things about the book even though it's one of the things that i struggled with was all of the uh, what i'm going to assume is um is scottish slang that comes up throughout it yeah in parts um very very funny in parts, you know. Kind of like Rob said with the with the poker terminology way over my head. So as endearing as it is, is a little bit challenging. And I was kind of hoping that there would be a you know Scottish urban dictionary handy for me to to kind of figure this stuff out. And yeah, I'll just tell you this: uh, ebook publishers, the Kindle does not define any words that are uh, specifically Scottish slang. As I tried and tried,
1: <laughs> I ran into yeah a similar thing. There was. A lot of the stuff, you know, I'd I'd stop and and do web search, but some of it, yeah, it's just I couldn't really find, and so I had to just piece it together contextually.
0: On that note, I was reading the the Ray Banks bio, um, Carked It. We actually had to look up Cark It (laughs) before we did the show, because I thought maybe it was just a misspelling of something else. (laughs) Carked It means it died.
1: Yeah, this review is going to Cark It.
0: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much, so... I think we've got to get back to doing stuff we're more familiar with, like dumb American literature.
1: That's right. Do you want to? Uh, you want to rack some quotes? Yes. And then we can we can ramp it up.
0: I have a. I only have a couple of coats, so why don't you go first? You say you have a couple of coats. I have a couple of coats. <laughs> I'm a I'm a two
1: coat kind of guy. All right. So I have two belts. Never mind. <laughs> okay. To illustrate. The 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 friendship between I guess I air quotes friendship between Alan Slater and Les Beale. Here's a quote: "Wasn't that just a perfect measure of our friendship? He got shit everywhere, and I was the one with the lemon-scented wipe."
0: Very nice, and yes, very indicative of the stuff you'll get in this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one of mine. Later on, I caught a glimpse of him pinning some poor little crater-faced blonde. When the strobes kicked in, he looked like a yeti caught on super eight as he leaned in to slobber something romantic into her ear. <laughs> The wow. Yeti would be less that we mentioned, less Beale.
1: <laughs> he doesn't paint his friend in the most flattering light. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy to. <laughs> Here's just a little more of that weird, sarcastic wit. He was arguing with one of the dealers, a chubby little blonde who dealt the same way she probably fucked, plenty of enthusiasm but no real talent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm almost.
1: I I remember that,
0: and I'm surprised I didn't mark that one down as a as a quote. <laughs>
1: Which brings to mind actually something that I forgot to mention. I really liked, for the most part, Alan Slayer, the protagonist, but like, in, in, in the scenes where he was interacting with his wife, he was almost always really mean to her in a way that um, it, it made me almost uncomfortable. Like, he was just being mean to be mean. Uh, so, that was it was a weird contrast, because for the most of the book, he's just, you know, your average guy and everything, and whatever but when he's with his wife he's just really like vicious to her almost
0: yeah i thought it added a little bit to the realism i mean it's very clear that alan's pretty much done in that relationship or at least he thinks he's done and mm-hmm. at that point i think he's just looking I, I think he's just looking for her to leave and that's i think part of you know how
1: that comes across yeah that resentment that's just like yeah I, i'm not happy with my situation but i'm not doing something about it i'm just exactly yeah yeah you got more more
0: quotes I do. I have one more. This one, kind of, again. Because all the good quotes are about Beal, I think. But this was probably the bloke Beal saw at the game. Beal had always felt threatened by blokes like this, no matter what they did. Part and parcel of being a racist prick was the fear of apparent success.
1: Very nice. Again, I think he's
0: just very insightful into kind of the, the inner nastiness that people can harbor.
1: That's a wonderful way to put it. I fully agree. I'm gonna see. I grab. I, I, just, I. don't know. I. I. I love the way that he wrote um, Alan's observations of other people. I think those were some of the best and most, uh, most uh, witty moments. So uh, I can't remember. This is a, a nurse, I think, in the ho- in the hospital at one point that he's observing. The woman looked like she was melting. The fat leaking over her chair and under the desk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've got a couple more, but I think those are the those are probably the best examples of those kind of sarcastic humor that I, I think I liked best about the book.
0: I right. Alan really does um, look at people through very unfiltered lenses, you know, and just kind of tells you exactly what he's thinking about them. And it is some of the, uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much of this book was meant to be funny. Like you said, there's a lot of sarcasm in there. So, I mean, I certainly wouldn't, like, I wouldn't say, hey, this is a really funny book. But, you know, it's kind of really a funny book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, but it's it, because of the honest, open you know, views of the world and other people around him.
1: Yeah, it's that uh it's that kind of observation of like a dickish kind of observation a friend makes and you're like you laugh because it's funny, but then you kind of feel bad because it's probably mean. A lot of uh, that's I think the best parts in the book for me were were those types of moments.
0: What do you mean feel bad? No, that's right, I oh, forgot no, who I was all right. talking to. Alright, you wanna do a wrap up on this?
1: Sounds good. Yeah, like Livia said, it's a really quick read. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that he wrote it really well. Uh, it's, it's stitched together so nicely and there's there's really nothing that take, takes away from it. It reads very smoothly and it's entertaining. Those, those little moments that we quoted to you and just the, the interactions between the characters just keep you reading straight through. Um, I dug it. I thought it was a pretty good book. And I'm going to give it three and a half stars. Yeah, I know this is going to sound like a lot of parrot talk here, but um, yeah,
0: characters, characters, and characters. Alan Slater's view of the world is um, <laughs> is very interesting. It's very realistic, and it seems to be very honest, even in in looking at his own situations, which we're not always you know terribly honest with ourselves about. Just delivers a you know an engaging enough story to keep you interested without um, all the frills that like I mentioned earlier you typically see in a story like this. Alan at no point has to like you know fight six guys or call on his previous skills as a you know, judo instructor or anything. He's your everyday guy <laughs> that, that gets into this situation and, and you know I don't <laughs> I don't know that I'd handle it much differently than he did. Um, but i'd like to think that it's uh you know it can also be considered a cautionary tale of where your uh, you know where your your actions can take you and where you can end up um again very funny although i you know it wouldn't be the first thing i'd say about this book and uh man, he taught us all about double glazing i mean what else can you say about it so <laughs> I really liked it quick read four stars from me
1: yeah and as you were saying that, I guess one of the things that that i'm realizing as we talk about it more is that it is like the way that we would look at ourselves. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm really glad that no one sees my messed up life the way that we got to see Alan's. You know, it's very yeah, real.
0: Yeah. And then touching on another thing, we really need to figure out a way to get the message to digital publishers that we'd like to see a page count. I mean, I don't think I'm in the minority here, right? Right. And usually. When I look things up on Amazon, you know, I look at it, I see it's buy, I kind of scroll down and see what the page count is, especially if it's something I'm unfamiliar with. I mean, my favorite authors, it doesn't matter if they write a hundred pages or a thousand. You know, I'm going to go ahead and read it anyway, but it's not as important. But the more I find is um, Amazon, at least when there's something printed in in paper as well as in e-printing you know we'll still have the page count listed on the page for the kindle and it'll say that it's you know this page count for the book so which is kind of nice but maybe uh maybe it's something we can ask uh, mr guthrie about
1: yeah i was just gonna say if only we had a way to talk to one of these digital publishers
0: (laughs) yeah that's what we want to do is we want to have a guest on the show and then go hostile on him right away like why isn't there a page count that's what i want to know
1: i've got my kindle in my hand where's the page count
0: yeah, I know, and I can't, I mean, most books, they don't, the Kindle doesn't show the page count properly anyway, but it would be nice just to have somewhere you could go, even if it's on the website, like, while you're shopping for the item, to know that, hey, I'm either getting, you know, you know, I'm either getting, uh, you know, 800 pages, or I'm getting, like, I, like, it. quite honestly, I can't tell by kilobytes if it's a novella, or if it's a novel, or, you know, or an epic.
1: So. Yeah, it's true. Well, you'll just have to gauge it off of how big the Infinite Jest ebook is.
0: Yeah, you know, it's odd that you mentioned that because I actually went and looked at Infinite Just for the first time ever today, believe it or not, on Amazon. And uh, I think it's 1,100 pages.
1: That's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Wow. It's no well, and players. that changes too because it depends on like the file size for your cover or if you have any other pictures in it too. So that can be a little deceptive, I think.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. So at least I mean, muddying what, the water is you. That's what I do. I'm a water muddier. <laughs> Mutterer mutter, mutter. Mud, anyway. <laughs> this has
0: gone in a bad, bad direction. Why don't we do something fun, like have
1: Alan Guthrie on? I think that's a really good idea. Okay, here's a little bit about Alan Guthrie before we get him on. Award-winning novelist and literary agent Alan Guthrie has joined forces with serial entrepreneur and social media expert Kyle McRae to create a new digital-only publishing company, Blasted Heath. The Scottish company launched on November 1st, with five titles, and will publish around 30 books per year, available in various ebook formats.
0: Alan, thanks so much
1: for taking time to join us
0: here on Book Today. Yeah, my pleasure, thanks for inviting me.
1: Okay, um, how about we start out by you just telling us a little bit about what Blasted Heath is, and maybe how you guys had the idea to get it started?
2: Sure, yeah. Um, Blasted Heath is a digital publisher, as you can probably tell from the accent, um, Scottish and uh we are we are based in Scotland um it's myself and my co-founder um Cal McCree my own background is from um is from very much from publishing I'm a novelist crime novelist and also a literary agent with a Scottish agency called Jenny Brown Associates um Cal's background is very much from uh, social media so the the kind of combination really Worked quite well, and it all kind of came about really from pretty much Kyle kind of stalking me. Really, um, he just kind <laughs> of yeah. Nah, you may laugh, um, but uh, yeah, he was uh, he was very keen to um, to talk about the possibilities that existed really for uh, for authors and to to be a little bit more um, audacious about online, you know, their online presence and uh really just helping helping them find ways to sell more books. Um so we, we we started discussing that kind of area and uh one thing led to another and before we kind of realized where we were we kind of realized that the uh what we were talking about was a you know was actually a proper publishing company so that's That was really the genesis of of Blaster Teeth, but it wasn't something that we, you know, at the outset that we kind of thought. All right, let's, um, you know, let's set up a publishing company. It was something that very much, you know, came about from uh, the two of us getting together and just discussing possibilities and um, seeing what was available. You know, looking at the state of the market and thinking how can we exploit these opportunities for authors, really. Um, because the market is a, is a, is a very strange one at the moment, you know? And, um, so yeah, we just thought there is an opportunity for lots of really good books, um, lots of really good writers to get out there and find a lot more readers than perhaps, you know, they currently have.
0: Why the choice to publish eBooks only?
2: Well, it's obviously, it's the, uh, it's the expanding market, isn't it? The, uh, if you look at all the figures you'll you know you see how ebooks are kind of exploding whereas print is you know particularly mass market um, is becoming a very hard sell um, because of that you find that a lot of um conventional publishers should we call them are sort of particularly risk averse if you like when it comes to taking on uh, new writers and the traditional mid list is also shrinking so you could have a new publisher set up who handles print as well but that requires a certain expertise that perhaps you know takes a little while to to um to get hold of and to uh, you know to handle expertly and to make the connections and all the distribution set up and all the rest of it um, let alone all the kind of production uh, aspects um is a very 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 big undertaking whereas e-books by and large are, um, are much easier to do, um, the, the, the costs are not in any way the same as doing print, uh, the, the financial cost that is, there's not the same outlay, there's not the same risk, um, distribution is obviously much easier, uh, more immediate and also I have um, a lot of personal experience in selling e-books, I've actually sold 50,000 e-books that I self-published This year, Um, so I've actually got quite a bit of experience in that area, Um, whereas I have no experience really in terms of publishing in print, at least doing my own stuff. Um, I did work for uh, a cult US publisher as a commissioning editor for a while, um, pulp um, Point Blank Press they were called, um, who do uh, uh, you know sort of um, um, contemporary. Contemporary pulp fiction, crime fiction, that kind of stuff. Um, And uh, so, yeah, um, um, although um, I had that kind of area uh, that that I had had some expertise in, um, the actual hands-on publishing side of it uh, was not something that I would have felt comfortable about doing when it came to print, you know. So, yeah, it's my own limitations, I guess, in terms of my experience. I don't think there's any point... Going into something if you, you know, if, if, if you're not absolutely 100% sure it's something you are able to do, you know, um, it's, a, it's a really huge learning curve to, to be doing print publishing, I think.
0: With your success with Bye Bye Baby, which was something we were going to mention, um, which oh, yeah. cer- certainly is a good reason to go into doing digital publishing, what did you find your biggest hurdle was um, going from print to, to ebook in your own personal experiences?
2: Hurdle no mm. oh, um, hmm, interesting question I, um, I've never really thought of there being any hurdles and quite the opposite the, the The history of the of that particular book was that it was commissioned by a print publisher. It was commissioned in um, two thousand and nine, originally to be published in two thousand and ten in July two thousand and ten um, the publication was put back to two thousand and eleven. And that was kind of okay. And um, and then what happened was that um, it was put back again. Uh, publication was put back to 2013. Jesus. And at that yeah, at that point, I kind of said, well, I've been telling people to look forward to this book now for um, you know three years, and uh, there's 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 a limit to you know to most people's patience. Um, would it be possible for me to have the digital rights to to go ahead and do an ebook? you know um how do you feel about that and they said well that would be absolutely fine we'd be only too happy for you to do that i think that's a great idea and so that was really my opportunity that was the way that i got into um ebook publishing was uh, just uh, you know by that opportunity coming along and going ahead and um I said there were very few obstacles in terms of of, of um, you know getting getting that out there um i got a cover done uh, pretty easily because I had a good connection with um, J.T. Lindrews who does all the Blasted Heath covers now. Um, he was actually my um, commissioning editor for my debut novel, Two Way Split, and as well as being a really good editor, he's also a you know fantastic cover designer. Um, so you know, got the cover done, no problem at all. Uh, learned how to do the formatting fairly simply. Um, I know, you know, a lot of print publishers tell you that it's extremely complicated and it's very expensive and all the rest of it. That's just uh, not true, (laughs) Uh, it really is not true. Um, So I I mean the whole thing cost me maybe $100, possibly. It's not a bad Um, investment. It's not a bad investment, Mm -hmm. is it? I suppose that you know, in terms of hurdles, the the biggest hurdle is possibly the hurdle that everybody faces, which is the the one of discoverability. Um, you know, once you have the book out there, how do you sell it? You know, um, so that's probably the that's probably the biggest hurdle. Um, actually, getting it out there was easy, um, but um, the first month it was on sale, I think I sold six copies. The second month it was on sale. It was five copies, and and as you say, it's gone on to sell considerable uh, amount more than that um, now. Uh, but it took a while to to kind of get up to you know decent sales figures uh, from that. Really, not very auspicious start. You know, I was uh, I kind of went um, so I spent a hundred bucks here, and I'm maybe going to you know. Get back about fifteen. You know, it's it's been a, it's been a big loss. <laughs> that was that was my uh, that was the, the, the first thought after you know a couple of months of it being on sale. Um, but I started exploring various different you know marketing angles after that, and uh, managed to pick up a few sales. And um, you know, as they say, with uh, particularly with Amazon sales, Kindle sales, uh, the more you sell, the more you sell. You know, there is a kind of truth to that. Aphorism, you know.
0: Do you think that, or do you know for a fact, is the the decision for um, traditional publishers to pu- push books back a year at a time? Is that usually just a financial decision on their part, or is there some other thing that we can't quite see that you know makes publishers decide to push you back from twenty ten to twenty eleven to twenty thirteen?
2: Well, it's often it's just it's cutting back on the list. You know, um, they have they have too many books. You know, for whatever reason. Whether it's that they don't have, they don't have the staff to sell them into stores, or you know the market is is just not gonna, you know, is is not gonna tolerate that level of books or whatever. They just wanna, they they hope the market improves. You know, uh, any number of reasons. Um, and I don't know, I don't know about necessarily putting it back a year as being that typical. Um, but I suppose you know, if you if you, if you're kind of if you're saying, we really want this book to come out in a particular season for whatever reason, then, you know, putting it back 12 months is often the way to do it because a lot of publishers only have the two seasons anyway, you know.
1: So, excuse me, I have, a quick, I have to move around a little bit. Sorry
2: about that. Yeah, hey, no problem, yeah. <laughs> I've been seeing perfectly still while you guys were talking so I didn't make any noise. <laughs> uh, so who's that eating a banana in the background, or is that not you, No. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> so, talking about kind of your experience of, of marketing yourself in, in e-books and everything, yeah. um, we know Neil Smith. We've we've had him on. We've talked to him before, and he's been kind of a dynamo of, of getting himself out there and and just pounding Twitter and all the time and trying to get more people involved with. Not Is just that right?
2: I've, I've never noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it needs to do it a lot more. I seem to miss <laughs> all of that somehow, uh, is that the type not of in the
1: <laughs> is that the type of author that you're looking for, or um, I guess is it more the content of the books that you that you bring in to Blasted Heath, or, or is there a type of author that you're that you're looking for to bring in and publish?
2: I would say that it's 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 very much well, fundamentally, obviously, you know, the the book has to be good. You know, there's there's no point having having somebody who's great at self-promotion if, you know, what they're trying to promote is something that nobody's going to want to read, you know. So we we have to assume that the book is going to be very good um, as a starting point. But it is extremely helpful when we have authors who, you know, understand social media and and, and are quite happy with, um, you know, helping spread the word. I mean, it's, it's part of a traditional publishing contract anyway these days uh that that you do you know take part in in promotion and it's really just that a lot of the promotion that we're going to do obviously being a digital publisher is going to be done online you know it just makes sense so yeah we we need people we need people who are are happy to you know to do that and they don't necessarily have to understand it in the first place because we you know we're quite helpful in in setting them up on, you know, Twitter or whatever, and um, explaining how it all works and and uh, kind of cluing them in, in in that direction. So, you know, full training will be given, as they say. But yeah, if you're not if you're not comfortable with it, then it, it possibly, possibly the digital environment is not going to work mm-hmm. uh, for you anyway. You know. So, um, but having said that, and um, everything does. Come down to a uh, you know a case by case basis i mean there there are certain authors out there who you know if, if they said we don't want to do any promotion but um you know but um, but here's a book then you know I mean you know I'm not going to turn down James Elroy because of that you know what I mean so <laughs> um, it has to be, it has to be you know it has to be on a case by case basis I mean the, the other thing I would say is that we are uh, r- rather than necessarily looking at individual books um which you know we 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 are doing we are buying individual books but we're also looking at authors because you know we like the idea of investing in authors rather than in books you know and i know that traditional publishing is increasingly being done book to book um you know you you get a one book deal you, you might get another one based on the sales of that book um, if you're very, very lucky, you'll get a two-book deal to begin with. But, you know, I have, you know, some clients have had, of mine have had a two-book deal and the second book has not been published, you know. We're very, very keen on the idea of going back to how it used to be in the sense that you're investing in an author, um, not just in a particular book, and helping that author grow a readership uh, from, from one book to the next, you know. It takes a while sometimes. And um, if you look at, you know, some successful crime writers today, uh, like Ian Rankin, you know, um, James Orroy who I just mentioned, you know, uh, George Pelicanos, you know, they, they didn't hit the ground running with their first book. You know, it took quite a number of books for them to build an audience, to gain a readership, um, and to become, you know, successful writers. And, and with with them, um, you know, looking at it from a commercial perspective, um, and I think it's very difficult. It's very difficult for writers to do that these days in print because. You don't really get the time to do that, you know. The uh, the publishers have their accountants. They they have book scan information and all of that. You know, all of that is then. You know, you 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 have to you have to persuade a publisher that the next book is going to be successful um, before they'll buy it. You know.
0: It all sounds so incredibly frustrating to be a writer and be and be saddled with with those types of things. I mean, just you know, indefinite pushbacks and, and everything else. Yeah.
2: There, there's, it, yes, it's, it, it is. It can be very frustrating. I mean, you know, if you're if you're doing very well, then then great. But oh, um, of course, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the very frustrating, I think, for a lot of writers is just the fact that they have really, you know, they have very little control over what's happening. You know. Um, you know, one of the things that writers seem to get blamed for an awful lot is the book not selling. And it's like, well, you know, a publisher bought that book in the first instance because they thought it was really good and they could sell it. So why do you blame the writer when it doesn't sell? You know? Mm-hmm. But writers are always the ones who suffer, always, every single time, you know? Um, and it is it's very frustrating. But I think, the you know, the, the digital arena is one where, where, where writers... Um, uh, you know are facing a, a well it's kind of more democratic environment i think it's it's um you don't need to rely so much on marketing spend from big publishers you know um bookstore placement all the rest of it uh you know you have a spot on the shelf on um, amazon.com or whatever and, and it's there it's yours you know it it's, you don't have to you don't have to pay for that spot and you're not going to be removed after 3 months you know you you have a you have as long a shelf life as you need um and you have a long time to find the audience you know
0: do you think that print um that print books have a future or do you think it's just a matter of time before they fall to the wayside?
2: Oh, they most certainly have a future yeah oh yeah um i mean the I think they will become a subsidiary right I think publishers. By and large, we'll see the sense in publishing ebook versions first, and then if they do very well, then they'll do a print run. You know, um, it, it makes far more sense to me. I mean, like you, you're looking at it, you know, looking at it from a financial perspective. You say, "Well, look, they put out the ebook. We see if there's an audience for it. If it sells very well in, you know, three months or whatever, um, great. You know, we'll, you know, we'll do a print run because there's obvious demand for it." Um, Otherwise, you're just taking a big risk. You're taking a big risk that this book is going to do well. You hope it's going to do well. You're going to put a big push behind it. And if it doesn't do very well, you've lost a lot of money, you know? Um, So I think that is something that probably will happen more and more. I think you'll find more publishers, you know, with e-book-only imprints. And then, you know, that possibility then of having a a print version. But, you know, for for the best sellers, obviously, they'll go straight into paperback I mean it is uh, is still the dominant you know medium dominant format it's going to be that for you know a couple of years at least and then I would imagine that there'd be some kind of equilibrium then um, and, and probably probably 50-50 split I would have thought between print and, and ebooks, but nobody really knows that you know <laughs> so it's just pure speculation on my part um, and it it probably won't be the same in different countries as well you know
1: Okay, so getting back to Blasted Heath in general, um, you guys just launched at the beginning of November. Do you what's kind of your vision for where it's going? I know that um, what we read out earlier says that um, you'll publish around thirty books per year. Are you are you happy keeping it at that level, or is it something that you planned on eventually expanding and, and letting it kind of grow over time?
2: Oh well, we're we're very ambitious, I think, and um, um, I mean even in the way that we you know we we launched really was quite i think it's quite ambitious um given the amount of time that we had and that we were starting from scratch um uh, we you know we decided that we we're going to launch with with five titles rather than just one or two um you know we decided that we we're going to launch with you know full e-commerce on the website you know all the rest of it and we did all of that in probably from first speaking to one another our uh, first contact as it were probably about 3 months um, which was which was quite, you know, it was quite quick really, from um, and very very ambitious, and possibly you know, um, possibly too ambitious uh, in many ways uh, in terms of the amount of sleep that we've had and so on. <laughs> um, but uh, um, gradually managing to catch up a bit on that. Um, but yeah, I, we we were looking at it, you know, we wanted to do it properly. You know, we could have said let's start off and just do one or two books. Let's do maybe six books a year or something. But um no, we really want to go for it. Um it's the it's all that my um co founder Kyle, it's all that he does now is Blasted Heath. So he is like full time on that. He's completely put his other business on hold whilst um whilst we're focusing on Blasted Heath. Um so it's a full time job for him and um it has to work you know um we you know we 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 want to we want to expand as much as possible you know we're looking for ways possibly to um to involve partners um not not necessarily publishing partners but you know in, in other walks of life um so yeah we're 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 continually looking for opportunities to do new um interesting things and to you know to explore potential partnerships um and ideally to be publishing uh, far more than thirty books a year, but um, that was what we thought we could cope with um in terms of our production schedule for uh for the next um year based on our current status. But that that can change at any point. I mean the nice thing one of the many nice things about eBooks is you can, you know, decide, all right, well let's do an extra three books per month starting three months from now. There's no reason why you can't do that you know in print it would be incredibly difficult because of the scheduling, but with ebooks, it doesn't matter you know you can do that mm-hmm. um so yeah, it's a, it's a very versatile um, area to be working in You mentioned um some of the
0: some of the cool things you did at the launch. One of the things that we both found to be very interesting, and again, we're surprised we hadn't seen before was the digital box set um, whose idea was that?
2: Oh yeah, um, well the, the the blasted box set, yeah. It was I think it was a combination really. Um what what we did was we um we had this conversation where we were saying, well, we're going to be launching in November, so obviously you have to kind of think about the seasonal market if you're going to be launching in November. Um traditionally people don't buy ebooks as gifts, you know. Um, I know there is a gifting system in place on Amazon.com, uh, where you you can do that to an extent. It doesn't exist in the UK. Amazon.co.uk doesn't even have that facility. Mm. Um, but there's no physical object, and that's really the thing that we were getting at. There's nothing tangible. So we just thought, well, how how do you make an ebook tangible? It's I mean it's digital. So how can you possibly make it tangible? How can you actually buy somebody a present that they can? you know, that they can unwrap, you know. So we came up with this idea of, well, you know, the the, the easy way to make something that's digital or physical is to put it on some kind of storage device, hence, you know, a USB. And then how do you make the USB look nice? Well, you can brand it. And then, well, how do you present it? You put it in a presentation box, you know. Um, so that's really where it came from, you know. And um, um, I'm actually really surprised that it you know, it isn't out there already, because when you start thinking about it, it becomes a really obvious thing to do, um, and if you, you know, if you stick a barcode on the back of it, it's actually something that you can sell in bookstores as well, you know, um, so that's something that we're kind of looking into, and, uh, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully it'll, it'll happen as well. Um, Fantastic idea. Oh, thank you, yeah, I like, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great idea, but, um, you know the uh, it remains to be seen how you know what kind of take up rate we get over the over the festive period i think that's going to be the real the real test you know and at the moment um it is just available mail order and it, it is something that effectively we are trialing but if it's successful then you know you can do all sorts of you know different combinations of books and you can do different kind of usb sticks and um you know can end up with all sorts of weird and wonderful novelty items and gift ideas and all the rest of it and that would be great you know um highly collectible stuff you know
1: i think it's yeah i was really excited um when i heard about that idea and i think it the um the kind of innovations that we're seeing from you guys are kind of cool and it seems like you're just not afraid to to get you know to try something that people haven't done before um the example today is, Friday. Right, we're recording on Friday. Obviously, this won't go up on Friday, but you're doing what you're calling, I think, a Friday freebie, where you're giving away a, yeah. a novella yeah. by Nick Corpon, which I don't believe you even published.
2: No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but,
1: I mean, that's it. I saw that, it was a really cool idea. So, um, yeah, those I'm, glad you, I'm glad
2: you liked that idea. <laughs> <laughs> I thought yeah, it was cool. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, it, it goes back to this thing, really, of... Um, I'm not cur- I'm not sure who said this um because there's so many different sources cited you know as as being the originator of the statement but it's something that I, I've been saying for quite some time from my own experience is that one of the greatest um problems that writers face is obscurity you know and the whole digital medium is one where you're able to, you know, you're able to be discovered like that. And so there are lots of writers that I think are really good writers who, you know, it would be very nice to be able to just get some more readers for. And that's really where, where we're at. You know, it's like the writers benefit, the readers benefit. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. That's what we want. You know, we want to connect readers and writers, people like um, if people like Nick's book, then you know they go out and buy some more. You know that's really the that's really the whole point. You know, but so that's they, what we're doing there. It's a, it, it is perhaps a little strange, but um, but yeah, as you say, we are prepared to try you know to try different tactics to um, to just to do that to connect um, to connect readers and writers. That's um, I think a publisher's job really, rather than rather than um, you know connecting uh, readers with with retailers. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. actually, you know, missing that out and just connecting them directly with, with writers is fantastic if you can do that. You know, do you think um,
1: is this Friday freebie thing a, a kind of a test or a one-off or is it something that you feel like you you
2: plan to do more regularly? I can guarantee we'll be doing it more regularly. Yeah, yeah, we have we have some more, um, we have some more willing authors who are prepared to be as experimental as us. Um, and to see what see what effect it is, but obviously, we want to keep all of that as a surprise. Of you know, course, so of course. I, I can't I can't tell you who who those authors might be, but um, but we have uh, we have several several more lined up, and uh, it should be it should be fun. It should be entertaining, and and um, you know, hopefully hopefully in everybody's interest, you know. So, watch this space, as they say. <laughs>
0: You picked a great way to kick that off. Uh, By the Nails of the War Priest is just a fantastic novella. Uh
2: huh. Have you
0: read it already? Then yes. Actually, correct. we mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago when it when it first oh, so released. So, gonna, yeah. you
2: downloaded it. You downloaded it this morning and you've read it already. I was, I was <laughs> going to be really impressed.
0: Yeah. Now, oddly, the the story is this: um, Nick had sent it to us. We interviewed him when he appeared in the Warmed and Bound anthology a couple of months ago, and uh, he had sent us the novella before it printed and i read it with the intention of mentioning it on the show the day it came out though i wound up accidentally buying it on amazon as well which i feel <laughs> good about because it was really great but i went to look at the cover and one click buy and
2: <sighs> you accidentally bought it so how many times I accidentally have accidentally, bought it. how many times have you accidentally bought something it's the only time it's ever happened yeah, that's, so. That's fated so <laughs> yeah you um, wonder what, about that Yeah, how many? You know, the one-click option is something that people say. It's like so easy to accidentally buy something, but it's never happened to me.
0: It it was I was doing it on my phone. I have big, clumsy thumbs. I'm
1: sure that didn't help any.
2: Ah, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the phone. Yeah, blame the phone. (laughs) (laughs) He blames the phone surprisingly often. I have. I have a a, a Scottish phone and Scottish thumbs. So you know, (laughs) very small. Yeah.
0: I unfortunately can't always blame Rob for things. He's not always a part of it, so I have to, I have to have something else I defer to. Okay. What what releases do you have coming up that you can talk about that you are excited about?
2: Um, we have uh, we have Damian Seaman uh, has a novel coming out. his a debut novel called um, Killing of Emma Gross. Um, it's set in uh, what's well, a police procedural. It's set in Weimar Germany. It merges fact and fiction in the sense that it's um is about a real life unsolved murder of a prostitute called Emma gross um and it involves in Damien's interpretation um it involves Peter Curtin, who is known as the Dusseldorf vampire he was the um real life serial killer who inspired uh fritz Lang's movie m you know. Um so I think that was going to be really interesting because we haven't done a we haven't done a historical um novel and uh it has its own you know it has its own challenges its own audience uh which we which we have to find um but uh but yeah it'll be um it's one I'm really looking forward to um and we also have um a novel that's set in West Belfast called the Wee Rockets uh, by Jared Brennan. Um, it's, uh, it's a multiple viewpoint story um, about, uh, about a teenage gang that basically grows increasingly, you know, out of control, and has a certain Lord of the Flies type vibe to it, but um, but it's a more interesting book in many ways than, than, than Lord of the Flies, um, but it's another one that we're very much looking forward to. Um, and we have some other stuff that... Uh, in the pipeline that I that I I can't actually specifically name because we haven't announced them yet, but um, but we we have a quite diverse list really. Um, although it's very heavy on crime, it's not exclusively so. Um, we we have a a brilliant um, sort of satirical novel about celebrity culture, for instance, um, which does have crime elements too. There are you know there are deaths in it, um, but it's going to be a it's going to be a really good one. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, um, that's that's coming out next year. So, but we have uh, we have a pretty full schedule um, up until uh, about through July next year. Really, you know, that's um, two or three books per month over that period. Impressive.
0: Are you are you still finding time to write? During all this are you working on anything or is this all you're
2: doing at the moment <laughs> that's a really quick short answer that one no <laughs> <laughs> uh it, it it has been quite hard to find time to write i i've um I've been quite lucky in a sense that I was able to i was able to sub license the digital rights from my print publisher in the u k so even though I haven't been writing very much recently i've been able to um, i 've been able to find new readers by putting out uh digital editions of, of, of books that had come out already in print um and i found quite a few new readers that way so it 's almost like new you know the new books to many people um not not to me and uh, you know not to not to people who bought the books in print but um I certainly found a lot of new readers that way um but uh, i have I have a couple of novels i 've been working on uh for some time that are, it's hard to say. But you know, there may be about you know ninety percent there. You know, um, a few drafts. You know, have been done, and I have a I have a novella that I've been uh, rewriting. Actually, it's a novella that's already been published in print. But um, sadly, I can't leave things alone. Um, so I have um, you know sort of done a page one rewrite of it, um, and it just needs a final scene and then. Um it'll be done i think um so there's there's plenty to come if I can just you know get a you know get a month or two um of space to to just go ahead and do that um exactly when that'll be i I don't know <laughs> uh, yeah it's um it's it's quite hard to to sort of juggle everything and the priority at the moment has to be um blasted heath you know and uh, that'll remain the case probably through to early next year, and then hopefully I'll be able to get a little bit of time then, and and things will be taking over, you know, smoothly with uh, with Blasted Heath teeth, um, and there won't be any you know teething problems. We'll be it would be better at what we're doing. Hopefully, things will be smoother mm-hmm. and uh, more organised, and uh, and that might you know hopefully um, give me a little bit of time to to do a spot of writing, you know, just an hour or two a day. That's that's all you need, I think.
1: Awesome. Uh, is there anything else you want to plug about Blessed Heath, or just in general before we uh, let you go?
2: No, I think we're good. Actually, we've we seem to have covered um, covered quite a lot there. Um, no, I think I think we're all good.
0: Oh, you know what? I had one more thing, and this came up. Sure. We j- just recorded our, <laughs> our our review for for the Ray Banks book before this, and something came up ah. as a digital publisher. Um, what are the chances or the likelihood that we could get actual page counts, like what it would be in a paper book versus just the number of kilobytes on digital releases?
2: Do you mean just in general?
0: Yeah, like uh, we, because when we're you know a lot of times when we're reviewing books and we review them almost exclusively in ebook format, but we always have the right. the luxury of them being in print, so we can hop over to Amazon and say, hey, this is a uh, three hundred and sixty page book.
2: Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because um, it, a lot of it depends on the formatting of the book. So if there is no print version of it, you know, um I don't know. I mean I have, you know, several editions of my own books done by different publishers and the page count will vary. I mean one my two way split for instance, um you know, one edition's like um hundred and ninety pages. Um, but another edition's like three hundred, you know. Oh wow um, Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was yeah. thinking,
0: you know, you can go ten, twenty pages either way, but yeah, that uh, that oh, no, no, you no, know something no, that no. makes a difference yeah. to a reader. I mean, a lot of people don't want to pick up something that comes off as you know five hundred plus pages, but yeah, if someone else is putting it out and it's coming out at three hundred, it becomes a much more manageable piece of fiction for some people. I don't yeah. let page count deter me from reading, typically, but
2: yeah, no, no, this is this is indeed the case. I mean, if you're if you're with a smaller press. Um, who are using POD technology? They pay by the page, therefore they want to keep the page count down. Uh, if you're publishing with a bigger publisher who are getting books into bookstores, there is that element of perceived value from the customer who you know likes a bigger book on the shelf and thinks they're getting more for the money. Therefore, they want to put the page count up. You know, so between those two, you've got you know you've got stuff in the middle as well. But between those two, you can have a difference of you know 100 pages over, or well, what length is about 65 to 70 thousand words, I think. In in my case, with two-way split. Mm, so yeah, the, the the only thing you can really go by is the is is the word count. I think. If you know what that's the word what count is, then yeah. If you know what the word count is, then you can roughly. You know, you know, work out what the page count might be. Yeah,
0: it was one of my thoughts. It's just that you don't know if you're pulling the trigger on a novella or on an epic, you know, because the kilobytes mean, you know, very little depending on the the size of the cover that's put with it and any other, you know, I'd, uh, we recently uh, had an ebook that we were looking at that had pictures of covers in the back of it. Oh, so yeah. the kilobytes were were ridiculous. The book was still lengthy, but, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's hard as a, as a consumer sometimes to pull the trigger and not know what you're getting. So yeah, maybe word count would be the way to, would be the way yeah. to go.
2: Yeah, I think word count is the only safe way. But I mean if you do you read it on uh, uh, Kindle, what's your preferred device? Um Kindle. Kindle. So you've got the percentage. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah that's and how I figure by how many times I've hit the key, I can kinda judge and how long exactly. you know if I hit the key five times and it just moved to two percent. I go, Okay, this is this is you know a pretty lengthy book. That's about hundred thousand words. <laughs> what you've just described. There you go. I guess I have to acclimate myself to the <laughs> yeah. count versus.
1: Pages. And I have to I have to thank you because like if if he gets onto this new system that means he'll stop complaining about not knowing <laughs> how many pages he's reading because every book it's like I wish I knew how many pages.
2: Yep. All right. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's about right, you know, four or five key presses is probably about 100,000 words. Oh. Yeah. Well, you're you're struggling at the lower end because you can't really tell, you know, what's one key press? Well, it might be 2,000 or it might be 20,000. You know, you can't really tell.
1: <laughs> That's true. It does get, yeah, I guess less accurate. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense.
0: <laughs> All right, Alan, I really have to thank you, um, not just for coming on, but you've given us some really, really solid insight into um, something we haven't been very privy to as far as the, you know, the publishing industry. And, you know, even the stuff here at the end about PageCon has been very interesting. So thank you again for your time.
2: Uh, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been great.
1: Okay, once again, real big thanks to Alan Guthrie for uh, for coming on and talking about Blasted Heath and, and giving us just a lot of great information about the uh, the world of, of publishing in general. It was really great to have him on.
0: If you've somehow missed um, all of the goodies from Blasted Heath on Twitter and Facebook and just everywhere else on the Internet, um, it's BlastedHeath.com. Um, you know, if you're interested, the nice thing about them is, you know, there's lots of stuff available either on discount. This uh, past week they offered their entire their entire five um, book catalog at a dollar each. Um, but you can go there. There's the Friday freebies, which Alan said will be going forward. So it's blastedheath.com. And uh, follow them on Twitter. They're always updating with what they're doing. So pretty cool stuff.
1: Absolutely. Okay, that wraps up a book review slash interview episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson.
0: And I'm Livia Sneddon. Keep reading. That shall not question Stephen Fry That shall not judge a book by its cover That shall not judge Lethal Weapon by Danny Glover That shall not buy Coca-Cola products That shall not buy Nestle products That shall not go into the woods With your boyfriend's best friend Take drugs and cheat on him That shall not fall in love so easily That shall not use poetry, art or music To get into girls' pants Use it to get into their heads That shall not watch Hollyoaks That shall not attend an open mic And leave as soon as you've done your shitty. Yourself, right, just freak. I should not return to the same club or bar. Week in, week out. Cause you once saw a girl in your fancy, you're never gonna
2: fucking talk to anyway. I should not lose this recording eyes on ridiculous pedestals. No matter how great they are or were. The Beatles were just a band. Led Zeppelin, just a band.